Be the best rugby coach you can be. Welcome to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with head coach Dan Cottrell, where you learn hints and tips from the rugby coaching community. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast with me, Dan Cottrell. And with me for this podcast is Andy Brownhill and is head rugby at Park House School in Newbury. He's also pathway coach with Gloucester Rugby, and he is, because he tells me he has a little bit of Scottish uh, in his blood, he is also the under-16s coach, under-16s coach with the Scotland team. So, welcome along to the podcast, Andy. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, appreciate it, Dan. Well, I'm sure that uh, I'm going to challenge you, so you may not appreciate it by the end, but uh, uh, be be wary of um, a few sidewinders of questions as we go through. Uh, but uh, what I'm interested to talk t- uh, to Andy about is skill development and the balance between drills and games. But before we start on that, uh, just tell us a little bit about what you're doing at the moment. Um, so, like in the intro uh, that you alluded to, I'm coaching uh, as head of rugby down at Parkhouse School. Um, down in Newbury and alongside that I'm a pathway coach in the academy at Gloucester and coach uh, as assistant coach for the Scotland 16s. Okay so pathway coach uh, what does that mean or what does what do you actually do as a pathway coach? So that effectively is dealing with the, the all the boys that are in the academy at Gloucester so uh, right from the, the boys that come in at the, the the base level sort of the DPP level and, and helping them through their so, uh, so that age journey. group is so that age group is that can be anything from that well, is from usually from the from the thirteens all the way all the way through. Right. And what what are you actually doing with them on a on a weekly basis then? Um, so it, it can vary from uh, age group to age group, but mainly the uh, sort of the the the, the DPP sessions and the, it's looking mainly at how can we challenge them as players as much as possible. So the experience that we're probably giving them at, at, with the academy, it will be very different to what they get at clubs. Um, so it, it's very player-led, player-centred. There, there's lots of questioning for them, um, at them questioning us, so challenging us as coaches, but also trying to improve their their questioning and challenging of each other as players in the game, um, which I think is very important. Now, you have said to me previously when we were talking about this that uh, one of the main differences that these players see, apart from that approach, is that it's um, much higher tempo. So what what does a higher tempo mean? And because you're asking all these questions, that strikes me that tempo might be lost. So uh, just how does that sort of fit together? So tempo, if the... the te- Tempo can be very easily lost if the session stops all the time. So we try and give as much feedback and as much questioning sort of like on the cuff. So or hot feedback, some people call it. So as the session or the game is going along, we can have those discussions with the players as the game's moving. So there's no need to stop it. Um, there's no need to to kind of stop everyone. We could we could have a 10 second conversation by pulling a kid to one side or or just actually having the conversation in the game and almost trying to just see what he's seeing and, and ask some questions around what's the picture he's looking at um, so that it, it keeps the tempo high and there's no need to have sort of like a two or three minute stoppage. 
Right, so you are individual as opposed to groups of players, uh, which sounds sounds to me quite effective because that's obviously some very individual attention. Yeah. Now, when you're asking these questions, um, are they giving you immediate feedback or are you letting them think about it? How does it work? Uh, that that can depend on the on the player. So some players might be able to come back to me straight away and give me an answer, or um, they might be able to go and. Uh, just come up with something straight away where other other players I might say to them, if it's something to do that might be happening in 20, 30 seconds time, I might just say to them, look, I'll speak to you in a minute, go away and think about it, carry on playing the game. And then almost that casual collision a couple of minutes later in the, in the game, I'll, I'll just maybe run past one of them and just ask them, have they thought about it? And they might come back with a question then. Yeah. So I sometimes think that the danger here is that some players are very good at verbalising what they can see. They have... Uh, access to a wide range of language. They also probably understand what the coach wants to hear. Ha- that they will be the ones who will probably be able to give the most erudite, lucid yeah, answers. Yeah. How about the ones who maybe at slightly other end of the spectrum uh, may not be the best chatters or may just not have that um, ability to express themselves? How do you deal with them? Um, I, I've I've come to learn that uh, there's certain key words that a player like the the classic is like communication. Like all <laughs> yeah. players all love to say our oh, communication, and it and I think it's really important to try and some people will really be able to explore that, and you can say to them and challenge them, oh, what let's have some a bit, a bit more detail on that, explore that. What do you mean by communication? And they might be comfortable talking in a group if you've stopped the game or you've called everyone in for a bit of a debrief after the training session. But I found that I think a lot of the players that might be a little bit more quieter and, and, and less likely to speak up in a huddle, uh, that they're more likely to speak individually on a one-to-one basis during the game. Um, I, I feel like that's where they'll come out of their shell a little bit more as opposed to or say something when there's a big group of people because they, they, they'll probably get a bit closed off. Yep, yep. So that that environment certainly certainly helps them. Anyway, that was... Uh, sorry, just to... Um gone off a bit from what I was going to ask originally but I think it's very interesting for coaches to hear what's happening at academies because we can learn uh, what grassroots coaches can learn from it not everything can be applied because you just maybe don't have the time or the the skillful players yet a lot of the environments and yeah. questions are are very uh, very helpful to know if not to be able to use every single time. So going back to the idea of skill development and the balance between drills and games. Now, we, of course, could spend some time trying to work out exactly (laughs) what a drill is. But uh, first, um, I know that you had a bit of a truncated uh, rugby career. You had to sort of stop playing when you were 18, 19, though you were obviously playing to quite a good level. How much do you think back to the days when you were being coached and uh, you think, well, I've been coached to quite a good level. Uh, what lessons do I draw from back then? Uh, so, some good ones. That unopposed run-throughs are not good for anybody. Right. <laughs> I spent a lot of time doing unopposed uh, sort of team run-throughs before matches. Um, can, lessons... can you, but can you, can you see that they may have some value? Uh, I feel... Yeah, it's yes and no. Yes to the no to the fact that I, I'm massively now 
that players have to be under some form of pressure, uh, even if they're going for a run through. There, there could be some form of defence. Uh, running through with say no defence at all, and you're running into no opposition, or um, there's nothing in front of you. I, I don't. I find it hard to see the benefit in that when there's no pressure on decisions or or the, or skill. It it is a simple uh, walk through, which I. I, I, I don't know, I think back for when I played, I just don't think it ever helped. But I'm thinking now, in, in the theatre, they when they go a rehearsal, are they under pressure? Um, I suppose, I suppose they're not a, making decisions. That, well, that's a ve- that is a very good point in, say, like theatre for acting. I suppose they're not acting in front of a crowd or they are just rehearsing it. So that that, that is a very good point. Um I'm not sure. I mean, I'm just, as you can, as you can tell, I'm pondering on this. Um, and again, I, this is probably one for another time. So we'll, we'll move on from that. But, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty much in your camp there that I would say that I, uh, unopposed run throughs are probably, in my opinion, less effective than most people think. Okay. So that's number one. Um, and less towel as well. So when I played, it was very much, uh, there's lots of towel. So, I mean, I played in the, in the front row, so I was a tight head. Um, so if we were to, I, I, I was told where I needed to be on the pitch various times. If we're playing certain moves, I knew that I had to be in this area and it was very much, it wasn't left for me to explore that, um, or for me to question. It was, I, it was very much tell of you'll do this, you'll be here, you'll do this. So as a player, I, I had very little input into what I actually did on the pitch. All right. So how does a player pick up knowledge then if they don't know already? So obviously, if you've not approached to a scrum, the f- this is your first ever scrum. Um, yeah. How would you help someone who was going to go into a scrum without telling them? So I, I told you I was going to give you some. Curve. Yeah, yeah. So I'd say for, I mean, for for the younger for younger ages, so especially if people are, uh, if it's the first time a group of kids have ever been have ever gone into looking at a scrum before, I do think it is important where you don't have to tell as much. You can. I, I'm a big believer in show, so you could sh- as a coach you could show the kids this is the sort of position we need to be in. Um, and whilst you're showing them or you have a, you use someone as a demonstrator, um, you can then get them to show the, the group that and then they can talk around it and question it as opposed to it being very like direct of feet position, shoulder position, height. I, I think that you can help the players at a young age by letting them talk about it and, and explore it and question the coach. Uh, so it's not, uh, it, there is information and knowledge coming across. It's just not necessarily coming across in words. It's coming across in them seeing what it looks like. Uh, is there anything from the past that you can think back and think, well, actually, that was good? I mean, so we'd say definitely not tell and, um, well, less, a lot less tell and unopposed. But what was good? The, whenever I look back to playing, and it's the one thing, biggest thing I've taken through to my coaching is um, about building relationships as a coach with players. So I was lucky at school, like my school coach, um, Matt Kelly, and then my coach who coached me at Wor- Worcester in County in various different places was Matt Sharrett or oh, yeah. people, his nickname is Jockey. So yeah, he's Jockey, a, he's, yeah, excellent. I know him, yeah. So he's at Ospreys at the moment and yeah. he, and 
I had quickly had an affection to them because they, they took time to get to know me as a person. So they were interested in my school. They were interested in my family or other, other things around rugby. And I, I, that really resonated with me. And it still does today because, um, I, and that is my biggest takeaway from as a player is that it, as a coach, it's so important to build those relationships with players. Mm. Uh, definitely human connections is what coaching really ultimately is about and probably it's the thing which you remember most definitely on your time uh, sometimes more than the wins sometimes more than the the great victories that you've had the cups you've won it's uh, it's the people you're with and that's I didn't get all teary-eyed about this but it is relationships in the end which yeah uh, makes rugby or any sport probably definitely uh, very good but also poor relations can really spoil it for for many yeah. Uh, so now, now you've, you've sort of got that and you've taken that um, taken that forward. What what are you doing now more in your coaching sessions? How how are you developing these relationships? Um, through it's it's that has probably been over the past two years probably my biggest work on. And for me, it has been at school. It's easier because I see my players every single day, so I have sessions with them Monday to Friday. Um, at Gloucester and say even at Scotland it's a lot harder because those sessions are very ad hoc and Scotland is every few months and Gloucester is every week but mm. there's b- massive breaks and it's for one hour at a time so it, it's been crucial that I found it very helpful to just try and get to know the players by name first what school mm. are they at what are they interested in um, if you know we've got an under 16 lad at Gloucester what, what what's he looking to do for his GCSEs or what's he looking to do for his A-levels. I feel like if you can have those conversations with them, um, mm. that, that goes a long way. Yeah, definitely. Because otherwise you turn, you're looking at their ambitions in rugby and that closes off everything else. All right. Uh, and um, it is, you've got to almost have a, um, a menu of questions that you can ask them so you can explore, explore them. Because sometimes I suppose you can, there's sensitive questions you don't really want to ask uh, uh, where's your mum or dad or yeah. uh, that that sort of thing? It could be could be difficult. So uh, you can ask about school. Is there any other questions which um, you'd find be useful in this circumstance? Yeah, school's a great one because some kids, if you say how's you, that some of the answers you get are brilliant from kids <laughs> around around uh, your like around if you ask them like how are they doing at school or something like that. Um, but I'd probably say. As you say, you've got to be careful around the sensitive sort of questions that you ask. But I, I generally think it, if it's non-rugby, I sometimes, I don't know what it is, but I think a kids that I speak to, the last thing they might want to talk about is rugby related stuff. They'd much rather yeah. talk about um, what they might have played football for school or they might play for a football team as well. It's, it's, mm. it's those little extra things. What, what team do they support? In diff- are they interested in other sports? Yeah, so if they support Bristol Rovers, okay. Bristol City, not so good. It. Not so good. <laughs> okay, and I'm glad you said that. That's for almost uh, the most important thing. Uh, in fact, the last course I did in uh, just north of London, uh, I said that and said, "Oh, I'm." A, someone said, "Oh, I'm a Bristol Rovers supporter." So there are there are a number of us out there. Yeah. Uh, right now, um, we've been talking a bit about your coaching journey now. Uh, one of the reasons why I was keen to speak to you in particular is to talk about drills and games. Now, do you feel we've become a bit too, and this is the word of the moment, binary, 
Yeah, uh, wow. Between Phil's verses, yes. Good. So I've also um, mentioned as much as communication. Have we become a bit too binary, uh, drills versus games? I would say, I, I personally believe we have, I, I think it's gone too far. Um, to, I coach a lot through games, and that is my preferred style of coaching. Mm. Um, but I also mix in what people would call drills or isolated practice to that. Um, but I think that it, it's almost gone too far one way now, where it's all about games. And I, I, I hate to say it, but I can feel sometimes that coaches might be a bit too scared to do a bit of isolated practice because it's not seen as the thing of the moment that people are doing, where that's probably actually a good thing I take back from my playing career is we did some isolated practice, which was actually really beneficial. Yeah, yeah. Now, I I wonder if that's because um, if you are an enlightened coach like yourself, you're exposed to a lot of the top CPD which is going on uh, and you're made far more aware of the power of games. Yet a lot of coaches who are new to it don't have never seen it. And because of that, they just go down the drill route and they can't seem to break out of it is it because of that is it the the tail wagging the dog or do you think that that's the case that there's maybe it's gone too far even at the top level i well i'd say i mean i've seen pretty i've seen a lot of uh i won't name clubs but i've seen a lot of um top level sort of first teams train where it is they do actually do quite a lot of isolated practice and there's probably not enough game in there. Mm. Um, so it might, for some people, for some coaches, it's still very isolated practice and, and not enough game. But I completely agree with what you said. I, I generally think for those people that are coming fresh into coaching or they are helping out on a Sunday or a Saturday and what they're doing is very much um, all games or all isolated practice, I, I think you're spot on. It's about what CPDs have they been exposed to, to to try and make sure they get that balance? Yeah, and in in that, um, CPDs are, are great. Uh, quite a lot of people go on CPD, come away and think, oh, well, I'm going to make a great change and then come back and don't break out of the that system because they're almost too scared. What what can you do to um, make that those CPDs more effective, do you think? Have a coach, have someone you coach with, so I was very lucky when I was at RGS. I had, I was able to coach with Sean Perry for three years, so yeah. we were able to coach together. So I know that if I needed challenging in certain areas, he challenged me on those areas. If we'd just done a CPD together, we'd know that we'd come back into training the next week and a few weeks, and he'd really challenge me on the area and vice versa. I'd do the same to him. So I, mm. so, my, I so I'm thinking that uh, it's even more powerful if you can go with somebody else on a CPD. I'd, I'd say that. Go, grab a friend or uh, someone you know who coaches and go together on the CPD. And then when you come out of that CPD environment and back to your school or club or wherever it is you coach, you two can really, that co-coaching of working together works really well. Yeah, and it also sort of feeds into the idea of having mentors at lots and lots of different levels. It's, I mean, it's not straightforward, but we can always have somebody who can be there just to remind us of the things. So I'm just thinking out loud then, if I've gone on a CPD on my own, um, I would need to come back and say, this is what I really came away with. Uh, can you check that I'm trying to do a bit more of this? That might be a better way for some coaches who are listening and thinking, well, I'm never going to be sharing this with anybody else. 
so that might be the way forward. So, okay, we've got to the idea of perhaps we get a bit too hung up on uh, drills versus games, and I can understand why some coaches have been put to the sword on just saying it's all games, because I feel that drills are important. So that sort of sense comes across to my next question is you coach across a range of abilities yeah. because you're at uh, school and a pathway and with a, a national team. Do you think skill development is as important for the young players, uh, less experienced players as you coach, who may be not so interested in playing top class rugby? So they're the B team players or the, the fringe players who are there because they're friends. Uh, yes, I mean, I, I split this that the like the skill development up into two areas so i've got i call it the usual suspects and the unusual suspects so for me the usual the usual suspects of skills is you're looking at kicking passing evasion tackling running um that people really honed out home in on but the unusual ones for me are sort of information processing decision making communication work rate like handling pressure um i think for those unusual skills they are very helpful no matter what level of rugby you go on to play at because they're more life skills that can help you after you finish playing rugby or when you leave school to go to university and you go from university to your your job that you, you I think you unknowingly pick up and learn skills in a game that actually are really beneficial for for life. Right, so how do we coach those then? I'd l- I really like that, the usual suspects and uh, the unusual suspects. So I would be putting things together, for instance, which uh, I'm clearly seeing whether there's going to be an improvement in their passing or their kicking over time, of course. Uh, but you are saying that there is a, there are a group of skills which they should be exposed to whether they think they're going to be the next... Um, I was going to say Johnny Wilkinson, but he's obviously not playing the next World Cup. But yeah. uh, Owen Farrell. Uh, <laughs> Owen Farrell, yes, Owen Farrell. Uh, and for others, uh, there are other uh, nations' heroes available. Uh, what you, uh, you should be saying, if you're a Scotland team, you should be saying Stuart Hogg or... Uh, yeah, or Finn Russell. Uh, Finn Russell, <laughs> that's right. Um, uh, now, just so the unusual suspects. So just just reiterate those and how would you put those... For say less the slightly less able players because i'm I'm just going to put this in context because I think sometimes the easiest players to coach in a team are the the best players because they're always going to be asking questions, always going to be challenged, yes, the ones who are in the middle and those who are a little less interested so talk me through those unusual suspects again, and then let's just explore how we could develop those for those so for ones. so for the for those ones i've got um the information processing and say decision making okay information processing uh that sounds quite complicated to me so i'd for to make that to simplify that i'd say that is simply um you as a player in a game scan and see what is happening in front of you and then your decision is based upon the information that you've just processed so what you are taking in through your eyes and your ears um, I'd say that it, processing that information in a game, that's that's probably as simply as I could put it for for someone that might not understand that. I, um, I hope I hope that's uh, I hope that's simplified it a little. Well, bit. it simplified it, and it speaks to me uh, exactly because I've been on my own CPD today, which is a speed awareness course, 
and uh, it was very interesting. Uh, and one of the things that uh, I learned from it is that the top level drivers or the police, uh, when they're driving along at high speed, they will talk what they see in front of them, and that helps them to concentrate harder. Oh, wow, so, I didn't know that. Uh, that. I didn't know that before today, but that's what they did. So that, to me, suggests that if we can get the players to maybe recognise some of the information, even if they're not picking out the, the spaces or the weaknesses, but they might be saying, oh, I can see they've got four of their bigger players on the left-hand side, and therefore uh, I'm probably best to run to the left-hand side or pass that way yeah. or or line myself in defence up on the left wing. Definitely. So that might be that might be the information present. Okay, so that makes sense. So the next one is decision making, which is uh, pretty much um, a thesis PhD in itself. Well, several maybe. Yeah. Uh, how how would you help the the less able on this? Which I think is personally, I think is a massive challenge. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, that is the that, and there's no I say there's no there's no right or wrong decision. Uh, so. If someone makes a pass or a kick or tries something, and people might, oh, that's the bad, that's the that's a bad decision. But I would say, and I, I always refer to the players that your decisions are just based upon what you can do physically or what you can do, if you how far you can pass a ball or kick a ball or run with a ball, mm-hmm. that impacts your decisions. But I would to help those players because it is such decision making is such a difficult area. I would give them as much time in a game as possible or in training to use things like freeze frames or pause the game and, and or or rewind a moment so they could let them relive that decision again but but let them explore different ways of of executing it right now again with i'm thinking tempo uh and these are great ways to help these players relive um and sort of see see it again with with some hindsight which is very powerful how how can you Keep, use that without stop starting the game all the time. So you, with around the decisions, if if uh, you, you could be looking at a game which is three players are allowed offside, um, and one of the players uh, tries to kick it to an offside player to score, but he something happens with the kick and the kick goes astray or goes out, and the the, be- the better option might have been to pass it. You can let the game play on, and you could just say to the player, have have a moment, think about uh, think about what you just did and how would you change it. L- let them just get back into the game, have a think about it, and then speak to them. It could be at the end of the session or speak to them maybe 30 seconds later, but it's, again, trying to make sure that that sort of feedback or that discussion about their decision-making is done maybe on the cuff or on the fly. Mm, okay. Now, because uh, we talked about hot, the hot feedback, now, as, as it happens... Uh, very, very recently, I was on a, uh, the Quilter First rugby course, uh, Quilter First uh, day. Brilliant. Really enjoyed it and got a chance to be involved in the games. And someone actually did that uh, replay for me. And um, at the time, actually, I found it quite frustrating because uh, I know I'd made the mistake and I didn't want to redo it. Um, so it, it suggests, I mean, first of all, the, the coach didn't know me. So yeah. they didn't necessarily know that I'm grumpy and competitive and don't need to be told that way. So I can understand that. So that suggests that you would probably use some of those ideas with some players, but you would be judicious in which ones you'd use for different players. You can't just use them for all players. 
that yeah, one size doesn't fit all. Definitely, because I know, I know at school, for instance, because I know my boys really well. I know that some players will be able to handle one style of feedback or one style of instruction to another. And I know that I know I know some some players, for instance, that are, I'm best not talking to them whilst the whilst the session's going on until we've maybe we've stopped to have a little two minute debrief. Then I'd probably explore that with them because I just know their I know how they're going to take it or I know what their reaction will be like. Yeah, so really, uh, again, someone a while back said, don't talk about tools in the toolbox. I can't remember why they said that, so I'm going to use tools in the toolbox. So you're going to have various tools, but don't use the same tool all the time. Try and be a little bit more subtle and try and work out, probably beforehand, which players suit which, which is is ultimately the, the, the best sort of preparation is to list out the players like player a i will use this yes but i probably wouldn't use that or i've used that before and it really didn't work with them so you've got you've got to have some subtlety there now uh what we're saying is that uh so we've said going back to your unusual skills we've talked about information processing we've talked about decision making what's what are the other ones i've got uh i've got uh handling pressure work rate um and I've also put, even though it's, it's the go-to buzzword, but <clears throat> I think it's really important is communication as well, and or how we communicate. Right. So let's uh, let's talk about work rate. Um, now, most, let's say, boys of fourteen and fifteen, work rate is not some work at full stop is not something which is a natural to them. Yeah. I know it's a terrible generalization, but we know yeah. from being in teaching that uh, generally uh, most boys aren't too keen on work rate. How are you going to uh, if they're at the if they're in the academy, the reason one of the reasons why they're in the academy is probably got a good work rate. Yeah. Uh, that's why they're there. You you you're gonna maybe giving them an extra five, ten percent. Um what are you gonna be doing with the the kids who are right at the other end of the spectrum? So I'd say I. This is where we spoke about earlier of what coaches can take from grassroots. Say coaches that are maybe coaching in professional environments can take from coaches in grassroots environments. Now, obviously, I think that where we can learn massively from grassroots coaches is in this area because obviously you're looking at work rate or or what people might perceive it to be on a Sunday morning or with say 14 year olds at your local club isn't probably going to be your top priority, but you, you all know of, of club teams that, uh, that have, all have very good work rate from one to 15. Um, and I, and I, I'd probably say it, it's again around that discussion with the players uh, around what, why is it important? I suppose, Rather than just saying to the players, you know, oh, you've got to work hard, like all people, a lot of people shout, come on, keep working, work great, work great. It's it's probably better to have those discussions with the players so they understand what you what, what you mean by that. What what exactly does work rate look like to them? Now, again, this is interesting for me because I've seen um, under 14s teams uh, pre-season fitness working really hard, and then. Uh, I've seen other teams who try and do the same thing and five kids are flying around the field at 100 miles an hour and at the back are three or four kids who've, who've never seen 
uh, salad in their life. They spent most of the time at the brown buffet and they, they, they're not interested in doing the fitness. They're there to maybe smash a few tackle bags and, uh, that's it. For me, I think that's a real challenge. I'm not suggesting you're going to come up with a magic bullet. No, you might do. Uh, I'm just, um, and you must see this also in a school context. Yeah. There are those kids there who don't mind playing. They know that they're not very fit, um, and they're not of a mind to work at it at this moment. How are we going to uh, drag them out of that slumber, or is it a, a task which is just not worth the effort? Um, I thought I rec- I think it is. It's definitely worth the effort, and and I always try and relate things to to real life or non rugby uh, related topics. So. If I notice that, and, and I've had it this year at school where I've had a couple of boys that during training and even it, when, even when it's come to games, they really, they're, it, it, they haven't, they're not working to what I probably know they could work at. And, and, and they're honest enough to say that now that they weren't working like that. But I, you know, sit, sit down with them and chat and realize that this isn't just about you're working hard now. It's about, how are you going to work for your exams at school or how are you going to work when you go to leave school and you decide to get yourself a job? Like work rate isn't about running around and as fast as you can for an hour. It's about how you apply yourself as a whole. So are you engaged? Are you listening? Are you talking? You don't have to be the person that's sprinting around as fast as possible, but you, you, you can still engage and engaging and, and, and listening and talking and involving yourself in whatever capacity as long as you're involving yourself in trying to what you think is your hardest, I, I think that's probably the best way to go around it with kids like that. Mm, yeah, um, I see some kids, well, a lot of boys live in the moment. They don't really see uh, that much in the future. They may have some ambitions. They obviously see uh, YouTube, Instagram, and think they quite like to be that. But they don't necessarily see the path. And obviously, we're working with pathway players, they are far more aware of where they're going to go I, I often think it's very very much about incremental gains and rather yeah, than definitely. them seeing massive goals which probably they can't achieve or they're not even dreaming about uh, they just make small changes like yeah. um, they don't have a coke before break yeah. is uh, one thing which I brought in with a couple of guys this year and painful though it was they suddenly found themselves uh they said, oh, it's really annoying, but I've got more energy at lunchtime. Yeah, uh, and yeah. they were actually annoyed with me, but they were saying that because it worked. But it was, um, if only I could have done that right from the start with them, they would have been a lot better off. Yeah. It was, as you, as you said earlier, it, there, there are no lost causes here, and you've got to work hard, and it's worth doing. Uh, so you can't change or Definitely. turn every super tanker. Because I think you'll never... I, I, I personally I think if you work in I know I work in I'm lucky enough where I don't have to teach in the school I can just run the rugby but I still see you know coaching and teaching is entwined with with what it is and I think you can't you can't give up on a on a, on a kid a student yeah you, you have to there's so much you can help them with I think they are deep down even though a child might say they're not that I think everyone is willing to learn that you know you've just got to help them along that process because they're just a product of the environment that they've come from so Mm. i think if we can help them as as facilitators 
in whatever capacity, as you said before about talking about those little increments, it doesn't have to be big goals. It can be small, little small steps towards what will eventually become, you know, a big, a big goal at the end. Mm. Uh, so let's go back to the unusual suspects. Uh, we have, uh, there's two more we haven't talked about. So communication was the last one. Uh, I should have written down what the previous one was before. Handling work, right? pressure. Handling pressure. So here we are. I, uh, you're handling the pressure quite well because I've thrown in a few extra yeah. questions which you weren't <laughs> expecting. Um, now, uh, given that you can obviously handle the immense pressure of my podcast, podcast questions, um, how, how are we going to develop that for 14, 15, 16 year olds or, and, and younger? So in. I'm sorry, so I'm going to ask another question. Yeah. Do we need to worry about handling pressure for someone who's 12? Is there, um, is, there, is there an age, uh, is there a general tipping point age where we can say handling pressure is not important and starts to be important now? I'd probably say yes to some degree because I honestly think that for the, for the younger the kid or the younger the child, the more that sessions should be more based around engagement and fun and, and participation and, and that should be the kind of you don't want to create loads of pressuring situations for those players to be in at a young age. I think they should be exposed to as much fun opportunities as possible. But I'd probably say the the older you get, so when you're approaching sort of maybe 15, 14, 15, right through 16, 17, 18, I suppose in training you can, you can create a, a, a safe, pressured environment in a training session for different uh, players to be exposed to, whether it's um, something at Gloucester the other day at the end of the session was <coughs> uh, the, there was a forfeit for the one team uh, and it was down to the two kickers. So effectively, they had to um, they were taking kicks at different points from around the 22 to the 15, and whoever whoever missed the few te- their team lost, and there was a forfeit of press ups or something like that. So that that that's an that's a safe pressured situation that those players who are kickers have to deal with um yeah no, i so like that and now i'm going to throw another one which um i saw someone do a long time ago and i sometimes throw in is that if someone makes a mistake or an error uh their team do the press-ups and it's a small amount it's not like a big amount it's like yeah three press-ups but they don't they stand up yeah. and that um obviously again you have to choose your players yeah definitely. appropriately but okay, I like that. Sort of the the pressure goes back on those players. Okay, and so you you're can, not sharing the pressure. You've got the pressure on you. Yeah, yeah. and you can, uh, you can. A lot of scenario based trainings are really good. So, I mean, one thing that I, I've, I've explored this year in the previous year was you could be doing a bit of twelve v twelve game, and you can almost say there might be thirty seconds left of the training session, and you might say to one team, "Look, you know you're." You're, you're three points down or you're five points down or you're six points down. We've got 30 seconds left. You've got a penalty. What's your choice? What's your decision? And you could probably give, in those situations, I've given the captaincy and the decision to the quietest player and the less, the person that's less likely to speak up, mm. um, to try and see how they handle that bit, little, little tiny bit of pressure in front of, you know, 25 people. For me as the coach, it, that doesn't seem, I'm not pressured by that, but for him, the student or the player, that is quite a pressure situation. So scenario training has really helped 
my players at school definitely with handling pressure in a, in a training session, which I think then reflects onto the game. Now, uh, I'm looking across at a book uh, I've got on my shelf with uh, by Dave Aldred. And, uh, yeah, the pressure principle, which is a great book. It's it's not actually a question about that. It's a question, uh, or, um, a thought that Johnny Wilkinson, um, famous obviously for being a very strong, um, trainer and, uh, being successful from it. He wouldn't leave the training ground until he'd completed a certain number of kits successfully. Now, here's another thought, and I'm just trying to think back into my mind. It might be Allred again speaking at a later date, because one of the things Allred says is he's always changing. He's not not set in the same uh, ways as he was 10 years ago, so he's changing. So it might have been him who said this. He said that, or someone says is that, um, I I think it might be Gary Gold. Um, When we do our last line-out of the day, that is the last line-out. And if we make, make a mistake, we don't have another go at it. And now I think that's pressure. So we're going to run 10 line outs. Uh, we're going to go through our plays, uh, post run post, of course. Um, but the 10th one is the final one. And if we get that wrong, that's it. Yeah, so I, like I, I like that as a, as a pressure. So that's a bit like the scenario training. Uh, I think some are starting to call it the, um, the super over, super over. Yeah, yeah, and, any, yeah. and anyone who's played, uh, who's done lots of cricket and been in the nets, they will remember every, every net session used to finish with a super over. You've got uh, six balls left and 20 runs, and then you'd be setting fields in unusual places. Right, so, okay, we've got handling pressure, so great. Uh, now, communication. I mean, that because that, that is the, I, I think if you ask any coach, that is the, they have probably heard that a hundred times a season from players um, <clears throat> as, a, as, a, as an answer to a question that you might pose about a session. But for me, communication is massive. And that is how do we challenge players to talk uh, to each other, to the coaches? Um, and, what, and what does that sound and look like? I think that is a that's really crucial. Uh, that is, a, I believe, communication is a skill. Um, so when you see, you know, the best the best nines in the world who are talking behind defences or they're in the line or they're talking to their ten as the game's going on. I, I honestly believe that communication is a skill and that, again, is a, it's also a life skill that if they can improve their communication through two years of being at sixth form and playing rugby, through the games they play, through the, the training sessions, through the, the new friends they make through rugby, I, I think that is that, that transitions massively into when they finish school. Right. Now, if we agree that communication is massive, um, though, was it Zidane uh, never used to say anything uh, when he was playing, apparently. Uh, that, I think that's, they throw that in as an outlier. Yeah. Uh, let's, I think we, if we could generally agree that communication is a good thing, how are you going to improve it? Because this is often the shout from the sideline, yeah. from the coaches, and the players come up at the end of the game, and when they're asked what they're going to improve, say communication. And I have taken plenty of courses uh, where we start with some games and the teachers on the courses run around pretty much in silence, apart from maybe one player. And I say, well, what are you going to improve? And say communication. And what do you tell your players to improve? Communication. So why aren't you doing it yourself? So why are these players not communicating? What are we going to do differently? Create what? 
give them ownership on the training that they're doing. So if I I believe that if in that if you're cha- if we're cha- setting challenges for the players, um, you know we're we're picking and it can change every session or within the session. But you pick team leaders or you pick key communicators, and they're the ones that talk in the game. And then you, that might mean that you then challenge other players that might be the talkers all the time that they're not allowed to speak at all. Right. Yeah. It's got it's got to be that that responsibility is passed on to another player. Or going back to your Zidane point of he didn't talk. Silent rugby is a great, great tool to use to one get players to realise the importance of communication, but also communication isn't just what comes out your mouth. It can be your body language, or it it makes players creative on how they can get across their communication. Yeah, and I mean that's uh, that silent rugby idea is come. I've seen that quite a few times recently, but I think it's been around for a long time and. I remember Matt Dawson talking about it when he was at Northampton. Now, uh, I can't remember if it was Wayne Smith or Ian McGeekin uh, who introduced it when he was there, but they did a lot of their, well, they did a number of their exercises when they didn't talk. And that really highlighted them lots of things uh, above and beyond communication in terms of skills and in terms of uh, being more visual in the way that they played. Uh, so I, yeah, I I like that. Now, um, sometimes it's about the language that you use as well, because yep. some some are very good at talking and not saying anything at all. Yeah. So um, do you spend much time on the sort of language they're using? Yeah. So I will. We will at the start of every season we'll talk about values and behaviours and various other things at school but the the one thing we'll look at is what what sort of rugby language do we want to use this season so when we're on the pitch or when we're in training what how how do you want to communicate with each other and then it's getting the boys to sit down and they can write down ideas of what sort of language they want to use around um if if we need to move in a certain direction for uh, in defence or in attack, or we see a bit of space. What what what's going to be the the calls or the 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 words that we use that resonates with everyone in the team? So it means that as a coach, I know what the boys want to, how the boys want to talk, and what words I need to use to have the biggest benefit to them. Uh, and is that is that does that change as the season goes on? Do you reflect on that? Do you? say, well, perhaps that wasn't as important as we thought, we need to change that, or is that a second stone? Um, that, I mean, that evolves as the season goes on, because I know a lot of, there's a lot of stuff the boys have chucked down on paper that we haven't even looked at this year, because <laughs> we've just gone a different direction, or they, they've taken the rugby in a different direction, and that, mean, that, that means that the, uh, the language that we've used has evolved, and it's, it's changed, and it's different to what it was at the start of the season, um, and then chuck into the mix that we have a sevens program as well, and then so all, all the all the comms we spoke about for fifteens fifteen aside completely goes out the window. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's environmental, but it's also with the group and anyone who's been spent in school rugby will know that uh, you think you've cracked it one year, and the next group come in and they they pose a completely different challenge. So it is it's quite good, in a sort of refreshing in a way, though. Uh, does suck up a lot of energy yeah. in trying to keep keep it fresh, right? Andy, I've uh, we there's, there's a part of other questions I'm going to ask, but 
because we went down that uh, usual and unusual suspects thing, which was really interesting, uh, I'm going to uh, sort of draw, draw a line there because I think that we've covered some points which I think are very important, really, that you yeah. said at the start was about human connections. Yeah. And we've talked a bit about skills and games and uh, the approach. But for me, what is very clear is that a lot of what you do and how you approach it, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is that, yes, you've got rugby knowledge and you are imparting technical and tactical information, but it's the unusual suspects which are about the interpersonal skills, the intrapersonal skills, which are very important, it seems. Is, would that be a fair reflection? De- definitely. I mean, as a, that, is prob- that is what I've built my coaching around, that it became quite apparent that I'm my super strengths as a coach lie in my abilities to build relationships and interpersonal skills with players. So that's that's kind of what I've gone with as a coach because I've realised and other people have like mentors that I've had have said that this is you're you're really strong in this area. So for me, that is what I I believe is key. So when it comes to looking at skill development. I really incorporate my unusual suspects into that. So things mm. like the information process and decision making, all of that sort of, all of that applies into things like kicking and passing, and you can incorporate that into your practices that you do with them. Right. Well, that, and that makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think we speak strongly about what sometimes we need to focus on more and reflect on more and another thing you talked about is that mentoring idea and have someone uh, even if it's someone on your own level just being able to say have you thought about this or I noticed you're doing that uh, definitely that makes, that makes me do. Andy brilliant thank you very much for your time and uh, for your patience in us trying to connect with all no, no, the, no, uh, my pleasure. the technology <laughs> that's been great and uh, uh, it's lovely that you travelled down to my part of the world uh, the other week and saw the delights of uh, the, the mumbles. mumbles. Was a fab- yeah. is a fabulous part of the world. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't I have no commission with the mumbles tourist board. No, for, I don't. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, um, though I did see that Stephen Jones of the Sunday Times was talking about it today as well. So uh, uh, all all sorts um, bigging up bigging up the gower. Anyway, Andy, thank you again for your time. No worries. Thank you very much, Dan. Appreciate it. Good. And uh, just to say that uh, this podcast is available uh, at the rugbycoachweekly.net website. Uh, just click on the podcast button to listen to this one and lots of other podcasts too. Um, and just goes for me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll be chatting with you all very soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Rugby Coach Weekly Podcast. If you want to hear more podcasts, head over to RugbyCoachWeekly.net and click on the Blogs tab to catch up on any episodes you've missed. We look forward to speaking to you again soon with more insights from coaches and experts from the world of rugby, sport, and learning.